Hey, welcome back to the Overflow Podcast. I'm excited about today's episode. We're talking to Lauren Devora, who's been a part of this community forever, like since it started. I really appreciate her presence um, and really just her energy, her vibes. Very Scorpio. Um, what I am most grateful for is the ability to learn more about some of the God families that are a part of my lineage, my Celtic lineage. And that's what we're really talking about today. The episode is called Folklore Isn't Fiction on Myths and Magic. And I love talking about this with her. I could talk about this with her for hours. So officially, let me introduce you to Lauren. Lauren Devora is a novelist, screenwriter and witch originally from Reedsville, North Carolina now living outside Boston, Massachusetts. A tarot reader for over a decade, she's been reading professionally for the last five years and is a trained priestess with the Mother Grove Goddess Temple in Asheville, North Carolina. For more information about her or her work, visit her website at laurendevora.com and I'll put that in the podcast description. Um, Yeah, as well as her Instagram bio so that you can check her out. Okay, enjoy. Welcome to the Overflow Podcast, Lauren. Good morning. We have our coffee, (laughs) y'all. And I'm so happy um, that Lauren is here. Lauren has been a part of the Overflow community for like a minute. I feel like it's like... I feel like it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really, really happy. And I really, really like doing these types of things with people that I I know intimately because maybe it's just my own anxiety and nerves that I'm like... (laughs) This is just a regular conversation. So I'm really, really happy to introduce everyone to Lauren. Um, Lauren, we had this really, really interesting session. Um, Lauren is a reader and I'm going to have her introduce um, herself, tell you guys a little bit more about her. But I knew that I was going to be having more conversations like this with her when I did a reading for her and like her whole spirit team was like pulled up in the session. And I, I, I almost feel like as a professional courtesy, I almost should have warned you like ahead of time. But I really, cause I, I, I think it's like part of the thing about being a reader is that you often don't get readings from other readers. Mm-hmm. It's like how doctors treat themselves kind of like, I already know what this is, but I like to try to do that. And I had been a part of your online community for so long and I knew you were talented and I was like, I can trust her. I had an immediate connection to your work. So I was like, if I'm going to get a reading from somebody, I'm getting it from Tamiya. <laughs> um, and then when we did, you were like, kind of, I could, I could see it in your face that you were like, a lot is happening. And I was like, I should have told her because <laughs> this happens with, this has happened with like three other readers that I've had. Um, it's cool. But that's even how, you know, though, for real, for real. Right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> when I'm like, wait, what's going on? Yeah. I see this. <laughs> Who are these people? But no, it was lovely. And it was really helpful for me um, as a person who is a black woman, but has a lot of Celtic lineage and really wanting to like honor that and incorporate that into my life. So I really honored to have you in my life as a friend, as someone as I can as someone that I can trust with that and have these conversations. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. Oh my gosh. Um, well, I am a writer um, and uh, I write books and screenplays and stuff, but I'm also a professional tarot reader. 
and I've been a witch for essentially like half my life. And um, I've been reading tarot professionally for about five. I've been doing it for a decade. Um, And I trained as a priestess with Mother Grove Goddess Temple in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, And I worship mostly a Celtic and pre-Celtic pantheon. And that is kind of confusing for people, but it's like most of the Celtic deities that people have heard of, I'm probably familiar with. (laughs) (laughs) So why is it confusing for most people? Is it because like when they hear witch, they assume like you're like Wiccan or like something like that? And also when you say pre-Celtic, it, I think that confuses people because a lot of, I would say modern witches or modern pagans just see Celtic. And that's gotcha. totally fine. But when you say pre-Celtic, you're going back before because the Celts moved through Western Europe and into the British Isles. there. Ireland. I in your face if you're like, wait, am I doing too much? Nope. I, I don't guess. know it all. <laughs> you know me so well. I'm like, do I info dump right now or later? Um, yeah. So the Celts moved through Western Europe and into the British Isles and Ireland. But before that, there were people there before. So a lot of the cultures got mixed. And um, I mean, there's stuff that, you know, cave drawings that they have found, um, relics that it's clearly like, okay, this was before this time period. Um, And I also, you know, through journeying and through research, really truly have a, a, I don't want to say like, I know, because like, it's not written out somewhere, but I have a, a huge feeling that many of the deities that we are familiar with are like almost uh, like scaffolding of what they were. So, and like deities that I worship like the Kaliak, um, she, I really feel is pre-Celtic. Like people are familiar with her through Celtic mythology, but I feel like she was around before the Celts and I feel like she was around in different areas and she like Bridget, moved through different regions and became what she is today. But I feel like she's pre-Celtic. Yeah, I really That's why resonate. I think yeah, I really resonate with that. That makes sense why people would be like, well, what's that? And I think that's also a part of like opening our mind when we're talking about spirituality in general um, or even in a religious context is like what existed before. Yeah. And like asking that question opens up so much. And I know that that can be really scary, Mm -hmm. but that is definitely that inquiry is something that has like really brought me closer to practices that I feel like are really, really authentic, even if it goes to like ancient, like multidimensional earth. Yeah. Like, well, what was it before? And so, um, yeah, it just really opens up a world of things. So I love that. So tell us about like the work, um, like what's your focus when you're writing? Um, is it about this kind of stuff? Um, my, fo- <laughs> my general focus is paranormal urban fantasy stuff. Um, that's what I got my, that's what I cut my teeth on. I started out writing vampires essentially. Um, and vampire hunters, but I also use, um, or I don't want to say use, but Lilith is a character in my books and Lilith, many people in the spiritual community know about Lilith and know about the biblical warping of her and all of that. So I didn't realize it at the time because I started writing very young. Mm. Um, but I didn't realize it at the time that the version of her that was coming through was a version of her that needed to be in the world. Um, 
a friend of mine who is a devotee to Lilith read my books and she was like, how did you know? Like she sent me a message. (laughs) She was like, how did you know? And I was like, how did I know what? And she was like, how did you know that Lilith also has this like mother energy to her, this like intense, like other side. And I was like, I didn't, but I I channeled it. it. (laughs) Like I did it. I channeled it, but I didn't realize that that was what I was doing at the time because this was 12 years ago. <laughs> so. And that happens. Like it's even how, when I opened uh, the, your energy and before I could even tap into your energy, your team was there. And I was like, Oh, I know this energy now. Right. Like I feel this energy. And then also being like, Oh, the Caliac, like the, or Caliac say, it right. Mm. Uh, I don't think she cares. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, um, so like in the session being like, listening to her and being like, and also like, you're my daughter, like also like you're a part of me and like, you need to be working with me too. Or like, I want to assist you in the work that you're doing, particularly we'll get, we'll get into that. But like, um, I really, really want to, you know, want you to remember that you can come back to this. And it's like, I never, I never worked with that energy before. So it's like very, it can be overwhelming. Like when you're to be like, oh my God, like, what is this? This is unknown to me. And like, how do I know for sure this is actually it? Mm -hmm. So when you first tell me a little bit about how you first started working um, with these energies and how you knew (laughs) it was what you were like, that it was right. Um. It's a bit of a long story. Does that matter? Okay. It doesn't matter. That's okay. what we're here for. We're here for the tea. And the um, the, well, I got it then. <laughs> um, so I first started working with the Kaliak inadvertently. Um, no, not inadvertently. She knew. I just didn't know. And um, I used to kind of be like an assistant for another um, pagan artist in Asheville. And she would do these like goddess retreats. And I think now that term gets like co-opted by it's very like light worker kind of thing where it seems a little like, okay, so it's like a bunch of women in yoga pants and a yurt. No, I promise. Right. <laughs> it's, right. Right. Um, it's not, it, it's not quite that the goddess retreats that she would put on were very like of the earth. We would make art. Um, there would be shared meals. There was journeying and channeling sessions, um, scrying. There's like a lot of different elements to it. Um, we called it a retreat because it would be at a different facility away from like everyday life. It wasn't at somebody's house. It was at a different place um, so that we could really be present. And it would be for a weekend or an entire day or whatever. And I would assist her. And it was kind of like I worked for her to like pay for my ticket, essentially. <laughs> Um, and so she was putting on a dear goddess retreat. Um, I should say her name. Her name is Jude Lally. You can find her on Facebook. She's amazing. She makes, um, goddess inspired art and, um, she's from Scotland. And when she was putting on the dear goddess retreat, she's very connected with dear goddess energy. Um, there's a particular goddess in Celtic lore known as Ellen of the ways. And she's, most recognized by she's usually a figure holding a lantern and she has antlers um, and possibly a staff as well. And I had never really worked with her. I have to interrupt you. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I have this new Wildwood deck at the recommendation of you. And I told you how I had a spread out already before we started recording this. I was like, Oh, I don't want to shuffle my cards because I have this spread out. Look at the card that I have. Ah! 
<laughs> it's basically the energy that yeah. uh, Lauren just described. Yeah. It's, coffee <laughs> and, it's coffee ancestor in um, the Wildwood Tarot, but yep. proceed. That is, that is amazing. <laughs> I am so stoked. Um, yeah. So essentially that energy, um, Ellen of the Ways is, you know, antlered. She is also represented by like reindeer, um, reindeer tracks, deer energy, um, because, and going back to the pre-Celtic thing before, I think I've talked to you about this, um, but before Pangea split and before Scotland became it, the part of the British Isles that it is, it was connected to all of these other regions and Scotland had reindeer. There's evidence that Scotland had, um, and the only thing that they really can verify that with is cave drawings of reindeer and people going, oh, that's a reindeer. They didn't have, but like, they haven't been in Scotland for hundreds, possibly thousands of years, but they have evidence that people witnessed reindeer. So before everything split apart, there were reindeer in Scotland. So Ellen of the Ways being represented by a reindeer is like, it's that it tap into really ancient stuff that we don't have evidence of, but like our bloodline knows. Yes. Um, so Working at this retreat, um, at the end of it, we were holding ritual and we were holding space and um, we were supposed to be doing a journeying session outside. And I got to participate and I was in the stone circles and the facility that we had like had their own stone circles. It was really beautiful. Um, and I was there and I saw Ellen of the Ways, like I was in it, like I was deep <laughs> and I saw Ellen of the Ways and she stood directly in front of me and then she went, somebody needs to talk to you. And she stepped to the side and it behind her was Kaliak and Kaliak looks a lot like Ellen of the ways, but she, to me showed up with, you couldn't see her face. She was completely shrouded, but she still had antlers and she had like very bony hands. Mm -hmm. And I immediately felt it was as if somebody took my shoulders and like kind of dragged their fingers across my shoulders, mm -hmm. but like from the front. So like if you were facing someone and did that across mm -hmm. your back. I realize mm -hmm. this is a podcast and I'm like, make okay. <laughs> hands are reaching out. So it's like, she grabbed you, not even as a hug, but almost like as a shoulder grab. Yeah. And it's like, are and you did, listening to me? Yeah. And then did this and I immediately fell to my knees and I cried for the entirety of the journeying session, like soul racking sobs. Like, I mean, ugly snot coming down my nose. I was gagging. Like it was like a whole thing. I've completely, fell apart. Um, I then remember seeing the sky, but then like came back to myself. And then for the next two days, I was viciously ill with some kind of stomach bug. Like I was throwing up nonstop. And that seems very scary for people <laughs> when I tell that story where they're like, um, what is that? That to me was a sign of, of spiritual evolution. Mm -hmm. And I felt claimed and mm -hmm. I haven't, ever really felt claimed by a goddess before that's not really something that at least not in Celtic pantheon that's not really something that is that common mm. um normally Celtic deities at least in my experience and the experience of people that I've talked to it's more familial it's more like hey how are you there's yeah. never like you're mine yes Don't do that it's more of like you because um in especially like Irish and Scottish and British homes it's all about hospitality. So it's like you welcome people into your home. So the, I feel like deities often 
act that way as well, where it's like, you welcome me into your home. I'm happy to be here. I can confirm that. Like, honestly, I resonate with that. And actually, one of the things that I learned um, in an incubator with Jeanette Lewis, um, she teaches about the concept of God families. Yes. So it's like based on your lineage, right? And so when I was like kind of tapping into my Celtic lineage, it really did feel like when I was like, leaning into and sensing who would be comfortable with me or who could I lean on. It was very open, like, Hey, like Mm -hmm. you're literally our family. So it doesn't matter. But then like, I got to like get a little closer. And then there was like a very clear resonance with any um, energy that was Raven related or crow related just because Mm -hmm. of not only my naming, but also like some of the work that I do. So I totally 100% know what you mean. But I feel like it's different for different pantheons too, because I've spoken with other people who have like a Greek pantheon and they're like, that's not our experience at all. And I'm like, okay. Absolutely. Or like, or even for instance, like um, something that's really well known in pop culture, like Ifa tradition, uh, Yoruba. Yeah. Like you, you can, as a mystic, know and sense an energy and know that it's there, but like as a, as a, practicing priestess like there has to be a, you know an initiation or a right. process that's definitely something that they teach so no I know what you mean yeah so yes so feeling claimed am, am I answering your question correctly about how I worked with yes that? um yeah so it's once you feel claimed that and and I kept questioning it not in a like really is this real but in a me like what me question mark why me and I never fully understood why me until I just dove deeper into researching her. And the the sad thing is, is there's not a lot about her. Um, if you like just Google the Kaliak, most of what you're going to, I think you even did that in one of our conversations and you were like, yeah, it's like the winter hag. And I'm like, yeah, that's not, that's like a fraction of what she is. And it felt wrong to me just from the experience that I had with you in your session when I was like trying to find this information. And I think that's why it's so important to realize that spirituality is experiential is sometimes like the information that you're seeking is very watered down. And also it's basically, it's folklore, right? And obviously the topic of this or the mm-hmm. title of this podcast is like folklore is in f- fiction. Um, but when we treat it, you know, in a way that is like myth and mythology, then sometimes it can like really lose its core essence. But like when I experienced her and I'll just give my perspective and then I want to hear from you, like how you've experienced her, especially for those who are like, who know about her and like have been, you know, also saying winter hag or like Mm -hmm. this is what she is or winter witch or old woman winter Mm -hmm. whatever when I experienced her um in your session or met her for the first time it was definitely nurturing yes um very protective Mm -hmm. um wise but not um judgmental Mm -hmm. um wanting to be of assistance and of service, almost like I can help you do your work. Like it doesn't have to be as hard as like it has been because you really just need to ask for help. And like, that's it. So that's how I experienced her. And I didn't feel in that moment that she was in that 
um, oldest crone state, just not in that moment. I'm sure like there's many variations of her, but in that moment, it was more of like a um, mother, not grandmother. Well, it's funny that you say that mother energy comes through because that's absolutely my experience as well. But also there's a common connective thread. And here's another, like, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it where women who don't, aren't that like familiar with the Kaliak, aren't that familiar with um, Scottish or pre-Celtic spirituality, like all of these and different, you know, from different backgrounds, all sorts of things who journey and then find her, she gives them a name and it's always been Bone Mother. And I have talked to so many That's women. That's actually the name. That she gave me. <laughs> That's what she gave me. I just didn't want to say the bone part because I know it's like, weird well, for some people but out. yeah but it's bone mother and I think it's because she is so old to me she's bedrock right like she is as old as bedrock she is as wise as anything but she is a mother she's not quite crone you're right she's not quite crone to me she has that like bony crone hands but she doesn't have crone energy she's not sitting there being like why did you do that <laughs> like there's no condescension there's no judgment she is bone mother to me. And I actually usually f- refer to her as bone mother. I even feel like the name Kaliak, while it is part of her, doesn't encompass all of her. And so usually I, I try to call her by the name that she gave me. Cause it's like, it would be rude if some, if somebody's like, what's your name? And you tell them your name and then they're like, okay, but I'm going to call you this other thing. Yeah, <laughs> Better for me. But somebody else called you this. So that's what I'm going to call you. And it's like, great. But I just told you my name is Lauren. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> So I guess I had a question that I wanted to ask you towards the end, but I feel like it's really more appropriate to ask it now for people who are wanting to relearn and discover and explore what I'll say the old ways, but particularly this Celtic and pre-Celtic traditions. They know that it's their lineage. Um, not that if it's not your lineage, you can't, um, but especially people, and I'll specifically say white people who, or people like me who are Black, because I'm Black, but I have a lot of Celtic um, um, lineage, but I just feel like there's something about whiteness that can be healed when you relinquish the construct of what it's been like Uh, that it's been made, that it's really like caused so much harm, even to white people. If you relinquish that and like reach back and get um, what's actually yours, which oftentimes is Celtic stuff. So tell me a little bit about what you'd recommend for people who are just kind of dipping their toe in. I definitely cannot recommend journeying enough, Um, which I know might be a bit difficult for some people. I would say start with meditation and start with a phrase that works for you kind of pick a mantra, but it doesn't have to be a mantra in terms of like, I'm worthy or I'm you know grateful or whatever. Pick a mantra that resonates with you and trying to connect with deities and meditate. Start there. Journeying is a whole different beast. Journeying is you are leaving your cognizant self and going elsewhere you in some traditions you there's like the underworld and the upper world um i have never really experienced it as a going under and going up it's cuz that feels very linear it's just going to a different place and getting information that you need 
um, journeying to me is really important. And you might resonate with this because, because of your ancestry, but also, um, just uh, historically. So Irish people in particular, the Irish and the Celts, we didn't have a written language. None of our spiritual practices were written down because we didn't have a language. There's Ogum, which is the like line drawings that, um, you might see if you like look up Irish language, you'll see Ogum, but that's really not accurate. Like it's a language, but it's not, it's not like common tongue. It's not what, you know, not everybody wrote Ogum. Not everybody used it. It's very like, it, I don't even want to call it, call it elite. It's just like, not everybody used it. <laughs> um, and it was maybe started, I, I would say it was, I don't want to, I'm not a historian, <laughs> but I, it was definitely more in, in terms of like how old our world is, it's recent. So it's not, it's not something that you can like look at and go, Oh, like there was no handbook. There's no Irish spirituality yeah. handbook. Like there's yeah. nothing written down. And that can be like uncomfortable for some people. And that can be disconcerting. Cause then they're like, well, what if I like, how do I know I'm doing it right? And it's like, well, you know, you're doing it right because it feels right. Like if you start practicing and you kind of go, yeah, I'm feeling like a connection and you can usually feel it behind your solar plexus, behind like in your chest region or in your gut, you start to feel a connection of like, this feels right. And honestly, as long as it's not hurting you or somebody else and you feel like it was a message given to you by a spirit, like go for it. <laughs> if, you know, it's like intuitively doing it and just kind of going off of intuition as opposed to well, this person over here said I should do this mm -hmm. because the reality is, especially in Irish and Scottish and British Isles traditions, like probably back in the day, they had their festivals and their holidays and their special occasions because the oldest or wisest or most tapped in person of their village, like stepped outside of her hut and went, yeah, it's summer solstice. And like, everybody was like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> summer yes. solstice. Like they, they just did it based on intuition and based on, Hey, the crops are, are done. Like we're wrapping stuff up. Like this is when we do our festivals. We've all put it in a calendar now, but way back when they did it based on the sun is there. It's coming through that stone circle. We know essentially what time it is, essentially what day it is. So here's the festival around that. And here's what we're supposed to be doing. But it was very intuitive. Like there is a mathematics to it, but it was also very intuitive. And I think that those two things can connect and like live together. Yeah. Um, so I feel like if somebody is trying to connect with their lineage, really start to journey, really start to feel, feel into what you're looking for and feel into like, and honestly, like, there's nothing to be ashamed with saying like, oh, I'm because I've heard this where people are like, oh, I'm just Irish. And I was like, what do you mean you're just Irish? Like, uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah, like there's nothing wrong with it. And there's something to be said for the the grasping of other cultures. You know, I don't want to get too deep into it because I, I don't feel like that's the purpose of this particular podcast. But, <laughs> and I don't want to speak out of turn. But, you know, I think there's a there's something within people that they look outside of their own culture. They look outside of themselves. They look for external, the new, cool, shiny thing. And the new, cool, shiny thing is somebody else's culture. And you're not going to have as strong of a connection to somebody else's culture as you are to your own. Like it is literally in your genetics. It is in your bloodline. 
you don't need to appropriate somebody else's stuff because there is plenty of magic in the British Isles. There is plenty of magic in Norway. There's plenty of magic in following Celtic, Nordic, Greek tradition. Like there's so many other pantheons that you can connect to. And there's so much richness there and magic and beauty. You don't have to grasp other people's religions and other people's cultures to make yourself feel special. You are not speaking out of time. Okay, good. (laughs) You are preaching the sermon that I feel like we need. And I even feel like... (sighs) (laughs) Not just that we need, but like that needs to like be put into practice because when you reclaim what's yours, like that's actually yours. That's how we stop colonizing. That's how we, you know, go back to what we're meant to do. And it's not that you can't evolve. It's not that you can't grow. It's not that you can't honor other cultures. Um, But that feeling and that sense of disconnection, which is the reason why people are spiritual seekers anyway, becomes much more fulfilling when it's something that's actually yours um, that's been given to you, like you said, through your ancestors. Well, and it's like, what feels more nourishing? Making food from the recipe that was handed down by your grandma, your great grandma, your great, great grandma, and like feeding that to yourself and to your loved ones or going to Burger King. Like, (laughs) you know, like what feels better? It's usually the meal that you take time and you remember, oh, my grandma taught me how to make this. And like, I'm going to feed that to my children and reconnecting to that side is that's more nourishing mentally and physically than like running out to Burger King and being like, okay, this is mine. (laughs) And I think that that's an important like metaphor because there aren't really any quick fixes right? Like there isn't um, any like instant thing that you can do. It does take time. It does take ritual. It does take research, especially when we've been disconnected, especially when it hasn't been passed down because we've, you know, been categorized and placed um, and religion has kind of been a way to syncretize or like basically to sanction whiteness. That's kind of what Christianity did. Yeah, um, and obviously, like I have a relationship to Jesus. I grew up in the church. Um, so it's it's not something that we know. Like it's not something that like when we're tapping into that energy, uh, it's not that it's not holy. It's just what systems did to the institution, not the actual spiritual practices though. But it was used to you know, make whiteness a thing. Yeah. So, so it's really hard to shape that sometimes and to like go and find and discover all of these things, especially when we look at it from the lens of like paganism or and equating paganism with Satanism when it's really just meaning human. So tell me yeah. a little bit about that for you as well. Like, were you always a pagan or were, did you always practice, practice like natural um, spiritual traditions? I think I must have. Um, I actually grew up Catholic. Um, I, my mom and I converted to Catholicism when I was very young. So like, I feel like I'm essentially a cradle Catholic. <laughs> um, but I grew up going to church, but I And like, looking back on it, I never was really praying to Jesus. Like I had no connection to the man hanging on the cross. 
I had a connection to the saints and I had connections to Mary. Mary was my go-to. I would say Hail Mary's all day long because that was, I felt a connection to that mother goddess energy. Um, But I didn't really have much of a connection to Jesus. Not that I was like anti-Jesus, but I just was like, I don't really feel like you're talking to me. (laughs) Um, But like looking back on it, like I picked up my first Scott Cunningham book when I was nine years old. Like there was clearly something in me that was like, hey, there's more out there and you're not actually meant for this particular spiritual path. You're meant for something else. I love that. I love it feels very like empowering to have had that from such a young age. Um, I'm really grateful for like my foundations in church. I feel like there's something about community and like teaching you how to be in community um, there were some really healthy things that were modeled um, for me there, but there wasn't really like a practice or like a spiritual practice. It was more of um, routine versus ritual. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's so good. And that feels like how I want to raise my kids to like not necessarily tell them what they have to do, but like open up the options for them so that they know like they get to kind of discover and choose and explore you know for themselves tell me about scott cunningham like what type of writing is that scott cunningham is one of the more i would say well-known authors on wicca and that's i think the the biggest thing that i come across because i i identify as pagan i i'm a pagan witch like that's my title um but many times people will say oh so you're wiccan i'm like Nope. (laughs) Because Wicca was started in the 1950s by Gerald Gardner. And it's like new, 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 new. It's like so new. Like you could still take it back to JCPenney if you wanted to new. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think there's any Wiccans going to be listening. No, probably not. Um, (laughs) But it's, it's so, I think I get frustrated with people who are like, oh, I come from a long line of Wiccans. And I'm like, so your mom. (laughs) because that's essentially how old the religion is and it is a valid religion like it is it is stated you know it's on the list of these are recognized religions um but it is a a newer religion and it was an amalgamation uh it is an amalgamation of ceremonial magic um that people might be familiar with in terms of like alistair crowley um there's like other, you know, you, you can Google ceremonial magic and a bunch of things will pop up and British folk traditions. And so Gerald Gardner kind of just like put those in a blender and was like, here's a new religion. And that's totally fine. People connect with it. I have never connected with Wicca. Um, I read Scott Cunningham very young and I connected to like the witchcraft elements of it, but I never connected to the duality of God and goddess only like spiritualism. Um, He wrote a lot about masculine and feminine. And there was a lot of like that binary, there was a lot of binary. And I even remember being very young and being like, right. But like, what if God has no gender? (laughs) Yeah. No, And that's that's even something that I'm like working with and through um not as it relates to god necessarily but around like our own energies and really like asking spirit to give me language to um queer it basically Mm -hmm. um queer being just the word that we have but really 
actually correct is a strong word, but but I think you're right. Humanize, yeah. you know, yeah, because it just feels it does feel while like I feel like this is a whole rabbit hole. We don't have to go. But I, down, I will but... say, I will say, I've been using the terms receptive and assertive. I love that because that to me feels less gendered and more just like you'll meet, you know, you can meet an assertive person and you're like, you're an assertive person and you can meet kind of a softer receptive person. And you're like, you're a softer receptive person. And it has nothing to do with their gender and it has nothing to do with their gender identity or how they're presenting that day. Mm -hmm. It's just their energy. Yeah. And so allowing as well, like allowing is great. Allowing. Um, And I know that there's like science right behind, um, DNA even, right? So when we look at maternal and paternal, like obviously like the way we procreate and evolve is a very, it is a binary thing. So Mm -hmm. I know that there's an aspect to us, but that is physical, not Mm -hmm. necessarily spiritual. So I'm really, I love that. I have people like you in my life that I (laughs) go beyond the binary with. Um, Tell me about... So we've talked a little bit about the Kaliak and I know another person or another uh, energy that's very like popular or mainstream is the Morrigan. Mm-hmm. And I have literally the journey at the bottom of the deck, oh which is <laughs> crow energy on top of Hitler's goal. Mm-hmm. So um, feels very appropriate and also feeling immediately her energy as soon as I just said the name. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me get Talking myself about an ready. Assertive energy. <laughs> right. Let me get myself ready and like gird my loins for what's happening right now. So one of the things that um I had a I have a friend and we both have Celtic lineage and she was like there's this woman, Tamil, and she's coming up to me. She's going to laugh when she hears me imitating mm-hmm. her voice. She's coming up to me and she has like feathers all over her. And like, what is this? And it's like this beak. And like, she's a feathered woman. I was like, boo, that's the Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, what? And I was like, yep. that is the Morgan. Yep. So tell me a little bit about the pop culture version of the Morrigan and like what is kind of being I guess archetyped in her name that is you feel is a little bit like inappropriate well I feel like the pop culture version of the Morrigan is that like statue that you can probably find in any spiritual store where it's like the woman she is a spear there's crows on her shoulders and she is like decked out for war And a lot of people associate her with being a war goddess. Um, And that's not incorrect. She very much is. But I think at her core, the the true purpose of her is sovereignty. So she is an entity that deems sovereignty onto others and, and helps you embrace your sovereignty and your sovereign nature. And that means just like autonomy, your ability to make your own decisions, to claim what you want and to move forward. Um, but I feel like in pop culture, she gets boiled down to this like war goddess that will like shred anybody and like is ready to pop off at any moment. And just like, there's a lot of hectic energy around her that I feel like is 
is deserved in some elements, but isn't her baseline. Like it's not her default. I feel like her default mostly is I'm here to bestow sovereignty. I'm here to allow you to feel comfortable enough. And I feel like she gives a voice to the voiceless. So she's, cause like she's known for her war cry um, in Irish mythology and, and like the way that I am familiar with her, I'm going to go down another rabbit hole. I'm so sorry. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> so the way that I feel the Morgan came to be is that there's the air quotes myth. Cause to me it's like real, but the air quotes myth that in Ireland before there were really people. And then when people finally got there, there were the Tuath day and they are essentially fae. They're human, not human, humanoid, but they're fae. I love the fae. Yeah. Um, so they existed. And then in the myth, there was a great war. And the Tuatha Day were like, all right, fine, we're going to go. <laughs> and so they retreated, which I feel like happens a lot. If you are out and about in our world now, you can feel where like energies and elementals and spirit has retreated and said, okay, well, I'm not guess I'm not going to be present in your home. I'm going to go be present in this deep, dark wood that nobody goes to. Absolutely. Like, for instance, when I connect with the Fae, it's a river in my subdivision, of course, that's, like, been built up. But then mm-hmm. there's, like, a tr- a, there's trees and there's a river. And so if I want to be with the Fae, I don't have to. Sometimes they may come into my house. But, like, if you really just want to go sit with them, yeah. that's, that's where they They're are. Very present in their element. So, yes, I definitely get that. Um so the Tuatha Day, there's that whole element. I feel like there's a bit of, and now granted, I, some people would call the Tuatha Day gods and goddesses, that they are above, like they are in, deities of some kind. Um, I don't know about that. That's not how it feels for me. They feel like elemental spirits. They feel like they feel like entities, but they don't necessarily feel like deities. Yeah. So there's a, a belief that the Morrigan is part Tuatha Day. So there's this fey element to her where, and that makes a lot of sense for me, that she is part deity, part fey because of how she acts. And there's certain elements to her that is a bit um, trickster-like because she can shapeshift. Um, there's, you know, the war element. If you're looking back at that myth and going, oh, there was a great war, like if she's a war goddess, it, that makes a lot of sense as well. Um, so I, yeah, I feel like that gets brought up a lot with the Morgan. And like, I think a lot of people, I don't want to say use her, but kind of connect with her because they're like, they're sick and tired and they don't want to take it anymore. <laughs> like that's yeah. how they connect with her. And that's all well and good. And I think that's actually great if you are, feeling like you have lost your voice, the Morrigan will help you find your voice. But in Irish mythology, there's also three other sisters, which I have the hardest time pronounce. I might be Irish. I cannot speak Gaelic to save my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like it looks, so it's hard. Exactly. It's hard. And I, I call my tongue, I have like, I call it an idiot tongue. Like I might be able to read, but I can't like speak the language. <laughs> So sometimes I can read it, but I can't speak it to save my life. Um, But there's an element of like the triple goddess with the Morgan as well. And most people would be familiar with like the Banshee. Um, And then there's Bad, I think. And then there's another sister 
uh, Macha or Maka. And so there's three sisters who kind of, in some respects, and if you go off of certain myths and, and tellings, they create the Morgan. They are the Morgan. So they are three elements of the Morgan. It's possible that the Morgan isn't one entity. She is three or that she is all because triple goddesses are all, you know, that's kind of the thing with Celtic deities. The um, I also worship Bridget and Bridget is also known as a triple goddess. Because she has have, um, sorry, I don't want to cut off. No, 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 you're fine. I was going to say, I actually have an article up the Irish war goddesses, Maka is one of the three Morgans or Macha, Bob, like you said. And the other one, it says Anu, but I don't know if that's actually how you say it. And that's the third aspect of the Morgan. And it says honored as a fertility mother goddess. So does that sound right? That's possible. Yeah. And I think the Banshee gets included in there with, um, that might be bad. And so I might've, mm-hmm. might've split. Okay. I'm just wondering. I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to research more because I just feel like, um, There's like a, an interesting triple element to her that people I don't think are aware of. I, and, and it's and it's true because one thing I'm seeing here about um, Matcha as a horse goddess, I've gotten horse energy mm-hmm. with the with the Morgan before, but it didn't make sense to me because it wasn't crow, and I was like, "Well, what is this? Is she on a horse?" Mm-hmm. Is, that's really interesting to me but anyway but I think but I think that might be part of why some people get really like confused and intimidated because if you google a d so like your friend who is like who is this woman with like fur like feathers Mm -hmm. and a a bee Mm -hmm. like what's happening if she were to google that she'd get nine thousand answers and all of them are going to be different because nobody in Ireland wrote down anything so it's all oral tradition so all people going well this is how my village did it and then that passed down hundreds of years and then that gets diluted and then somebody else from a different village is going to go well this is how my village did it (laughs) and so it really isn't a about who's right and who's wrong. It's what feels right for you in particular. Okay. So some people might go to the Morgan. The Morgan is also known as like a fertility goddess. Mm-hmm. Um, there's again, a, a myth of part of her deeming sovereignty onto others is there's the, the myth of her and Dan, uh, Dan, crap. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> there's another myth with her and a God, I'll say yeah. um, coupling. Mm-hmm. And that bestowing fertility onto the land and like mm-hmm. essentially like that being part of the harvest and, mm-hmm. and that happens at Samhain to kind of like recultivate everything. And so there's like a whole fertility element to her. There's the war element to her. There's the, the reclaiming your voice element. There's just so many different pieces. And not just the, I'm. A, not bad girl vibes, but like that's but kind is. of how I feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I feel like most it people present it as. And yeah. honestly, like I and you know, if you feel connected to the the bad girl vibes of the Morgan, there's probably a reason. There's probably like maybe you are feeling, um, you know, that you don't have a lot of power. Maybe you're feeling like you need to be assertive and take control and like push on through, like, if that's what you connect with, that's great. I just think that when a deity becomes only one facet, you are losing the magic of them. So then you have to like tap back into, that's why I think journeying is so important because I have learned so much about the Kaliak. I've learned so much about Bridget and my other deities just from, just from like journeying, just from like taking an hour out of my month and listening and journaling and 
meditating and, you know, being with them and going, what do you need me to know about you? And I get a very clear answer. So I get a little frustrated when deities only get like, and I'm sure you do too. When it's like, somebody's like, Oh, that deity, that's, they only mean this. It's like, no, they're a deity. They mean like 9,000 things. <laughs> it's not just one. That happened to me about the Kaliak the other day or something. I saw something posted and I was like, no, because, but I'm like, you know what? Also realizing and accepting that my work in the world is very particular and specific. So it can also be that this aspect of this energy is showing up for me how I need mm-hmm. them to show up. Not that I'm unique or special, then, but more so of that my journey, I might be in a different part of my journey, right? right. So it's, I'm being shown in uh, a different aspect. But I want to talk to you a little bit about what you think your responsibility as an artist and a writer is to, I don't want to say purifying, but it almost is like preserving. That's the word, preserving mm-hmm. um, folklore um, as something that we don't kind of just dismiss, but we kind of like look to it again and reclaim it as spiritual, um, as spiritual information. That is a very good question. And it's so funny that you use the word responsibility because that's my card for the month <laughs> when I did my wheel of the year. <laughs> I know. Um, yes, I think it's very I do have a responsibility to myself and honestly to my deities. Um, I feel very, very passionately about like coming on this podcast, talking to people when I have these opportunities, I have to show up and I have to, I like this morning before I, I came on, I literally sat at my altar and was like, what can I share? what do you need others to know? And so I'm hoping that I'm doing that justice, but there's a responsibility in keeping them alive. And folklore is, it's like almost a fictionalized version of things, but it still keeps them alive. And it, it piques people's interest and they go, who is this deity? Who is this, this woman? Who is this hag? Who is that? What's happening? And then they can dive deeper and then they can form a connection. But so I think that folklore has its purpose But in terms of like spiritual practice, there is a responsibility in caring for my deities enough to share about them with other people and to not hide them away. Because that's that's also part of the hurt, right? Is that, and I'm sure, again, you're familiar with this, where Irish people had to hide their deities away. Like Catholicism came in and was like, hey, we don't like that you have like nine different deities. No, mm -mm. Mm. we're going to turn them into saints. And you guys are going to go worship at a church. And it smothered the, the like connection that people had to deities of hearth and home and food and their land and spiritual, like it took it, it took spiritualism out of the home and put it in a building that they had to travel to and told them you can connect, but only in this one space Mm -hmm. instead of allowing it to just be like in their home, in their hearts. Yeah. So there's a a responsibility that I have to not hide them away and to not let them be stifled in any way. So when people ask me about Kaliak and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's the winter hag. I then immediately sit up straighter and I go, okay, so it's going to be a history lesson. (laughs) And (laughs) how it is. And you know, 
it might be a little embarrassing if anybody's like around me and I'm like, I'm going to talk to this person for like two minutes. I have to explain something (laughs) that might be like mildly embarrassing, but it's, I feel like that's important. And then as an artist, you know, talking about like how I accidentally Mm -hmm. channeled Lilith, it's important to me that if I am channeling a message from a deity that, and I'm putting it into my work, that I'm tuned in completely. And I'm like, okay, if this is what you need to be in this work, let it come through clearly. Let me be a clear vessel for you. Because that's, again, you can kind of hook people with fiction. I know that probably sounds a bit like an MLM. Like I'm not trying to hook people. (laughs) There is no, uh, there's no like sign on fee for veganism, I promise. But it, it does intrigue people. It gets them kind of interested. And I think it helps people go, oh yeah, like I am of Scottish ancestry. I'm of Irish ancestry. I'm of British ancestry. I'm of Norwegian ancestry. Like there's, I think if somebody can read about them, they then connect to their own lineage, their own family, as opposed to, because I think that's the other thing is, and I might, again, I might be speaking on a turn, but I feel like a lot of people, I, it. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people get intrigued by other cultures because white, like anthropologists went into places and wrote what they saw and it wasn't accurate. And it wasn't, it was, it was like a, a, sand a grain of sand compared to like the full message of you know if you're going into Africa and you see African tribes practicing and and worshiping and you're a white person and you have no cultural acknowledgement like you don't know what is happening you have no idea it doesn't even matter to you and you're just writing it all down and then you take it back to your white buddies and publish it in National Geographic everybody's reading that and then people are like oh that's interesting that's cool that's new and different and not Victorian era at all. Let's see what this is about. And it's like, you have magic in your own lineage. But I think because other people kind of shoved, oh, isn't this strange and weird in people's faces? It's not strange and weird. It's just a different culture. But because it was talked about so much and kind of othered, then people get intrigued by, oh, well, what's this other? And And I also think it contributes to the hiding, right? Yeah. So it's like, we're, we are modernized now. We are advanced now. Look at these people doing these things. Isn't this so interesting? Mm -hmm. Instead of just reaching back and doing that excavation work from a place that's untainted within you and like really doing that work to uncover. And that's such a good point. I'm reading a book right now um, called uh, Male Daughters and Female Husbands by an Igbo woman. And I can't think of her name. Well, I'm going to have to look because I don't want to not. So. <laughs> um, uh, also, I want to read that book. So you have it's to tell me. Good. It's good. She basically is talking about how white anthropologist Ifi, Ifi Amadiume, and she's um, talking about how she's basically the beginning of the book is critiquing the way that white anthropologists did this, right? Or even like uh, white feminist movements going and trying to look at like African women and villages or Indian villages and being like, but they censored themselves in the process, right? So they were trying to go and look and say, well, this is, um, they're doing this, we should be able to do this. Instead of just like going and unpacking and uncovering all of the things in their own lineage. And so every, I don't think you spoke out of turn at all. I think 
we all have to kind of be responsible. Uh, <laughs> again, word, again, yeah. word, word, word of the day, apparently, for what we put out into the world, whatever we're creating, to make sure that it is an honest and earnest reflection. Um, and I and I think that what you're doing by making sure that you're a clear channel um, is kind of the way we should practice spiritually. It's like, it's just making me feel like before you like pick something up and just like charge forward, just kind of like take your time. Absolutely. See if it feels right and all of that. Take your time, see if it feels right. And and kind of, you know, the myths are there for a reason, but they're not the whole story. So definitely read about, you know, if you feel a connection to the Morgan, if you feel a connection to the Kaliak, if you feel a connection to any deity, really, but especially like since we're talking about Celtic and Irish deities, if you feel a connection to them, definitely read about them. But I would say even before reading, because here's my favorite thing to do. When I feel a connection to a deity, and this has actually happened recently, I had more I had even more deities pop up for me and go, hi, we're here. We want to talk. And I'm like, okay, there's like five of you in my living room. Great. Um, <laughs> at least that's how it feels. Um, I decided to like meditate on them. And I did like a tarot card reading about that. And just, I was like very with it and present and listened. And then I read about them. And what I ended up getting from that was confirmation. Because if you go and read it's almost like, you know, how mediums will be like, I don't want to know anything before I go into a place. It's because they want confirmation after. So it's a, it's a bit like using that part of your spirit and that part of your brain. If you read about everything ahead of time, then there's no mystery and there's no unpacking and there's no like reveal. And then there's also no confirmation because you might assume, oh, I'm talking to Rhiannon right now, but actually it might be a different just because you've projected now like the exactly. information that you've consumed. And I'll just end by saying, because I don't want to make it seem like I'm this like traditionalist mm. because I'm not, I'm a mystic. Mm-hmm. Like I've been in meditation I've been in the Akashic records and I've been given Sanskrit. I'm not Indian, but I've been given this language or I've been, I've been given something we're ancient, you know, a lot of us, especially this spiritual work, like we've been around a long time and we're, we're connected and we're tapping into sometimes collective consciousness and it's the lines get blurred, you know? Yeah. The lines get blurred. But I do think that if you are wanting to a place to anchor and to start, the information that you've given about um, kind of reclaiming those Celtic and pre-Celtic traditions has been very, very helpful. I appreciate I it. So, yeah, no, I, I hope that it helps. And I hope that people out there are able to reconnect with their own heritage and find the magic that's in their own bloodline, because that's super important. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> any closing messages maybe from the author this morning that you sat with or anything that you want to share, anything that you feel is incomplete? No pressure. I feel like it's mostly, I just felt like such an intense amount of joy that she, I, I felt it from her and I felt it from myself of like getting to talk about her in a way that isn't like she's a shriveled up old hag in a, in a hut like giving her purpose and love and talking, you know, when you speak something's name, you give it power. 
And I think that's so important with things that have been forgotten, which is why saying bone mother is so important and say, saying Kaliak is so important. And when people don't know, taking the two minutes and going, oh, well, she's this and like kind of giving them the like the mini Wikipedia article about her. It's so important. And I just felt like an immense amount of joy that she's like being given her due, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Well, I let's actually call her in. And let's see if yeah. I'll see if I can channel some messages from her. I would love before that. Before we close. <sighs> I just felt like there's something more that she wants to say. So I'm being <laughs> obedient. So we have the Prince of Swords here and the Ten of Cups with the Six of Wands at the bottom. Mm. But it said it, the energy is come home. Yep. That makes a lot of sense. That's what I feel like. Come home. Mm-hmm. Like, just come home. And it's not about necessarily traveling back, you know, physically. But it is a spiritual, like reunion that's being like you've been disconnected for too long come back home come back to the land come back to our practices this is this is what connects us this is also what lights up your soul this is what makes you feel more human this is how you this is how you activate this like spiritual connection that you've been seeking and it's here it's here for your taking and just come home so i love that i love that this is such a pleasure thank you so much for having me Thank you for being here. You've been listening to the Overflow Podcast. To learn more about our offerings, visit overflow.co. Overflow is a nurturing space for the rediscovery of your sacred self. Mm-hmm.